Hey there, boys and girls. Welcome to another edition of the Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt. We're presented, as always, by BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. They're the exclusive partner of Podcast One Sportsnet. Use the promo code PODCAST1 to receive the 50% sign-up bonus today, BetOnline.ag. Quite a podcast for you. The music you hear underscoring us is from Sam Brandt, producer extraordinaire, and, of course, my son, and I'm Andrew Brand. I'm going to talk to Howard Bryant, Howard from ESPN and ESPN.com, all about this Kaepernick workout and what went on during it and what has gone on since. This is from the source. Howard was there at the workout in Atlanta, talked to the pro-Kaepernick supporters, the anti-Kaepernick people that were there, and of course saw it all go down where it was moved from the NFL-sponsored location of the Falcons facility all the way over to the other side of town, much closer to the airport, by the way, where Kaepernick held his own workout. We'll go into all the machinations in that in the future and whether Kaepernick will ever be signed by an NFL team. Some interesting insights from Howard Bryant of ESPN.com and ESPN the Magazine, who's a fascinating read, a novelist, a book writer, someone that I've talked to a lot uh, on the podcast before. Howard Bryant, coming up. First, a rant about some news that just surfaced as I record this on Thursday, November 21st. In the much ballyhooed helmet swing by Miles Garrett, he appealed. And first of all, I think the reason he appealed, I understand, because law and appeals are all about precedent. There doesn't seem to be a precedent for an indefinite suspension for an act on field. Well, no matter what the act was, we haven't seen an indefinite suspension. We saw a lengthy suspension for Vontez Perfect, but he has a history of violence on the field, and that is not applicable here because Miles Garrett doesn't have that history of suspensions and things like that. So here we go. Miles Garrett has his appeal, and the news that comes out today from Adam Schefter of ESPN is really uh, it's a bit shocking, and it's something that's certainly drawing a lot of attention. I'll try to give my thoughts here that Mason Rudolph, who was the quarterback who had his helmet pulled off, who got in the fight with Miles Garrett, who people thought should have been suspended because he kind of instigated in trying to get Miles Garrett's helmet off first, is being accused of using a racial slur. How is he being accused of that? Well, evidently, in the appeal hearing, Miles Garrett and or his attorneys told the NFL that's what happened, that this was a response to an inflammatory statement, obviously about a racial slur. We don't know if it was the N-word or something else. And of course, we've got a statement from Miles, I'm sorry, Mason Rudolph's attorney saying it never happened. It was reckless. And now we have some Pittsburgh Steelers going on record saying they didn't see it, hear it, and they believe their quarterback that it never happened. So here we are. What do I think? Well, I don't think it's safe to say it happened or it's safe to say it didn't happen. Uh, people know what goes on at the bottom of these piles in the middle of these fights. There's heated comments made. Maybe something was said that could be interpreted as a racial slur. As I said, we don't know if it was the N word or something more direct or something less direct or something that could be misconstrued as a racial slur. I just look at that film. Of course I was asleep, but I look at that film of that fight. There's bodies in there. There's people in there. Uh, there were some Steelers that pounced on there as well, and we never heard about them hearing anything like that. Of course, they were supporting their quarterback. So all of this goes into the fact that we now have a plot twist 
on this big fight. We'll find out soon about Miles Garrett and whether he gets the indefinite suspension beyond this year, which we don't know how long that will last, or something shorter. Uh, I think it'll probably go through the end of the year, and then maybe the appeal process brings it to an end after this year, and he starts fresh next year. But we'll see. And again, I guess my only comment here is there's going to be inflammatory reactions to this. It's going to be all over social media, and we're going to hear about this, whether he called him an N-word or not, their denials. Miles Garrett's going to have to answer to this and talk about it. We're going to have microphones played. What did they hear? We'll talk to people around there. But the bottom line is there's two sides to every story, and then there's the truth in between. It appears... I guess, to be one of those situations, not ascribing anything to Miles Garrett or to Mason Rudolph. But we have one player that believes he heard a racial slur. We have one player who believes he said nothing to that effect. And we know in the middle of that scrum down there, there were probably things said beyond just fighting and and not talking. So I'm guessing we have interpretations And again, none of this is black and white. It's gray. So with the gray area, we have this thing happen. That's my reaction to this. So I wanted to get that out there. There's going to be a lot developing after I record this about that. We're going to hear different sides of the story. We may hear from Miles Garrett eventually. Mason Rudolph is through his attorney saying, nope, didn't happen. And it's reckless for him to be accused of that. So we'll see. Now let's get to Kaepernick. Because uh, I think this story resonates. I have talked about it as I did throughout this podcast, gave a whole rant on the podcast last week about it. This workout that turned into a private workout, you know, it sort of begs the question why Kaepernick never had a private workout on his own rather than the NFL setting it up. I wanted to get someone who was right on the scene, who really is a voice on these matters, has been talking about Kaepernick, writing about him for three years. That's Howard Bryant the eminent writer from ESPN, the magazine, the author, and of course on various TV shows at ESPN, someone I enjoy talking to. So Howard Bryan from ESPN.com and ESPN, the magazine, who was at the scene and uh, of the workout and has talked eloquently, insightfully, and thoughtfully about Kaepernick is my guest. So without further ado, Howard Bryan of ESPN and ESPN, the magazine. Howard, great to have you as always, and you were there. You were there at the workout Saturday at the Atlanta Falcons facility, of course, moved to another location later, but you were there for the Kaepernick workout. Take us through it. Take us inside the workout, the machinations that went on between the sides, the NFL lawyers, Kaepernick's lawyers, the failed waiver signing. Give us a picture. Take us inside what happened on Saturday. Well, my thoughts were I flew down to Atlanta on Friday and uh, went in with this, went into this with certain understandings about what it was going to be. There was going to be no media access. We were supposed to be at three o'clock on Saturday out at Flowery Branch at the Falcons facility. And so I had been mobilizing my plan to just figure out, okay, well, what am I going to get? If there's no access, if it's a closed practice, what could I possibly produce why am I even here? And then, of course, that question got answered very quickly. Saturday morning, I go out there. I get there at 10 o'clock, which was about five hours before the workout was supposed to begin. And already there were supporters and protesters out there. And so there were three people out there who didn't support Kaepernick. There were two people who did. And so I did my 11 
10 sports center hit and then immediately when i turned my phone back on there was a text message from a member of kaepernick's camp who said call me asap and that was really that first conversation afterwards right around 11 20 11 30 was the first inkling that i was getting that you know what something might be going sideways here by noontime i had gotten another call saying these negotiations aren't going well and what was happening interesting by that time was where there were three anti-Kaepernick protesters there. The number of people supporting Kaepernick had swelled out to 50 people. And so it was really interesting on opposite sides of the street, seeing the supporters on one side and the protesters on the other. And they were just being hugely outnumbered. By one o'clock, it was about 120 people. And Kaepernick's, uh, Kaepernick's fraternity, the Kappas were out there and they were, they had, you know, they had shown up from all of these different locations on motorcycles and everything else. And it was really sort of interesting. It was interesting socially to watch it, to see all of these people on one side supporting him. And then you've got these committed guys on the other, but it also made me think about something else, Andrew, and it was how we deal with this from a media standpoint, if it had been in the reverse, if there had been 150 people out there against Kaepernick, that would have right. been the news. That would have been the story. And especially when the workout got moved, there were another 200 people down at the Charles R. Drew High School in Riverdale. And so if you had had 300 plus people against him out in full force, that's what we would have been talking about. And it bothered me in some ways because I was thinking, why isn't this support allowed to be an asset? Why aren't we talking about the fact that he actually does have support when we know that if he didn't, it would have been proof that every NFL executive would have used to say, even no matter how much we liked him, if he threw the ball like Johnny Unitas, this is simply just too much opposition. We can't take the risk. And so that was a very interesting thing to see on the ground firsthand. By by 1.30, 1.45, the sources that I had had kept telling me, keep your phone on. <clears throat> excuse me and keep your phone on because something's happening by 215 it was clear this thing was going south and by 225 i received a phone call from a member of kaepernick's camp that said here's the new address please pass it on to all of cap supporters who are there it's not going down and what was happening on the ground while i was getting those text messages was you could see all the caravan of executives who were going to who were showing up for the who were showing up for the workout they were coming in all the different teams supposedly all 25 teams according to what the conversation i had with the nfl today all 25 teams that said they were going to be there were there and then suddenly it didn't happen okay let's get to that so you're in touch with the kaepernick camp first of all it astounds me as a lawyer that's worked on both sides players and team that A, this was held by the league, not a team, not an agent. B, whatever, we'll talk about the waiver and the conditions and all those things, but not buttoned up before Saturday, right? So what we're dealing with is something that just sort of, you're saying they're negotiating and they're not getting it done and there's obviously disputes, but this was still in play on Saturday, hours before the scheduled workout? This was still in play as late as 2.15, 10 minutes before the Kaepernick's team 
sent in a text message to the NFL lawyers, the NFL office, who, by the way, their representative was actually at Flowery Branch and got a text and it says, couldn't get it done. I talked to both sides on this and what I was told was, because I asked the same, I'd asked the same question with something this high profile, with something this unique, with something this tense, with this much animosity, with this much history, why would you go into this without having a deal nailed down? Why would you have a rolling negotiation up until the day? And part of the reason from what I was told on the NFL side was that they thought speed was of the essence. They thought that it was interesting and that we're already at week 11 and that this is, you know, that, that to, let's do this the way we do this for any other player. You know, you don't, you don't stretch it out to a two or three week event. You just call the player in and you do the event. And, and yet they also acknowledge that this is an extraordinary circumstance. So I said, well, you can't really have it both ways. Can you, can you, right. can you treat it like any other player, but then also acknowledge the extraordinary nature of the situation. It just didn't work both ways. Uh, the Kaepernick team viewed the speed of this as an intimidation tactic. So you had to remember the bad blood that you've got here relationship wise. Whereas on the one hand, the NFL is saying that, no, we thought speed was better. It benefited him. You've got the Kaepernick team saying there's no way speed benefited us. It sounded like you were trying to rush us, push us into a corner to accept something with conditions you knew that we couldn't accept. Why, Howard? Why do you think this was happening? I said at the outset, been around the league 25 years, never, ever, not once, seen the league hold an individual player workout. Hundreds of times by agents, hundreds of times by teams, every year by the league for 300 college players. But for an individual player, why is this happening? Yeah. My feeling that this is my feeling is that this is happening because I, I I feel like this was a sheer force of personality power move by Roger Goodell. I think Roger Goodell is, recognizes, and I don't know if this is true or not, but he's really the only one, or somebody in his camp, or somebody up in the league office has decided that you know what. I don't know how long I'm going to be in this job or however long I'm going to be in this job. I don't want this to be a legacy question for me. One Hmm. of the things that I had been hearing over and over again from the Kaepernick camp was this was dead. They gave it CPR. They called us. So that tells you as well that this call really came out of the blue. Somebody at the NFL had decided that this was something, you know, talk about the feather of the cap to get this done. However, when you listen to Jerry Jones's quotes in the Dallas Morning News the other day, yeah. you when you read those quotes, it very much sounds like the cart was put before the horse. How on earth could you put this in motion without getting buy-in from the teams? And, you know, like you talked about the speed, the hurry. To me, where's the fire? No one's going to sign him in 2019. No one signed him for three years. And all of a sudden it has to happen on a Saturday in November when – could have happened in, on a Tuesday when teams are used to workouts. Could have happened after the season, around the Super Bowl, around the Combine. Get them in the program for 2020. I, I just don't get it. I mean, where's the fire on this? Where is the, where is the fire? And no question about that. No question about that. And maybe from what I was told, 
by some NFL sources that there was a naivete involved in that. Um, and naivete being the speed and interest in signing. And this is where I think the NFL story tends to fall apart a little bit because there had been no speed on this. Suddenly right. there was, it was a zero to 100 type of move. It wasn't as though, I mean, no one had spoken to Colin Kaepernick in any sort of official capacity since the summer, since July of 2017, when John Harbaugh and Colin Kaepernick had a conversation. Mm-hmm. That was the last time an NFL executive spoke to Cap. Two and a half years. So, two and a half years. Yeah. So to go from there to this, and that doesn't even include the fact that you had a collusion settlement in February. And the last time that the two sides had spoken in an official capacity was in February when the collusion settlement was reached. So, so let me yeah, let me segue the there. I'm sorry to interrupt. The, we have a collusion settlement in February, as you referenced. I'm a lawyer. To me, a collusion settlement forestalls, waves, releases the NFL from future litigation. That's not what we're hearing now in that the waiver proposed on Saturday is something that would have released future litigation. But I thought the collusion settlement, do you have any insights on that? I don't. And I'm trying to get those insights today um, because okay. I, when I was on the phone with the, with the NFL, what one of their attorneys told me was we had no idea, none that you were going to you being the Kaepernick camp or that the average person could infer that, that, that waiver, that that waiver claimed anything more than injury or covered anything more than injury. On the other hand, when Mm. you look at the two different components of that, of that uh, waiver, the first paragraph where it talks about as a condition of employment or as a potential condition of employment. And then two, the, the paragraph in, in a paragraph seven, where it talks about, you know, any and all direct or indirect. Right. Um, th- those two things open up one big question, which is sitting Colin down in a post workout interview and asking him point blank, are you going to kneel? That reopens the whole thing. At right. least from the the debate that I've been having or that I've been told is between the NFLPA and the Kaepernick camp. The NFLPA says no, kneeling is already protected, so no one was going to ask him that question anyway. The Kaepernick camp says, well, if somebody had asked him that question and he said, yes, of course I intend on kneeling, and then that information gets out to all the teams, or if any of the teams decide not to sign him, then suddenly you have a an actionable offense. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like, can you ascribe that getting the waiver signed as a reason why they had this workout? Well, I don't think so necessarily uh, in the reason why. I mean, it could be. Like I said, I, I that's not my area. I know that what I've been told by the Kaepernick camp is absolutely that's a possibility. Absolutely. That is a scenario. And as lawyers, we have to be prepared for every scenario, even if that's not your intention, unintended consequences happen all the time. Right. In the, the NFL's position is that's preposterous. We were, if we, if, if, if a waiver claim like that was going to be, was going to protect us from collusion, we would have done this two years ago. Right. So you can't look at it that way. There's no that, that the intention of doing this was to have a reconciliation to try to get Colin Kaepernick back on the field. 
That's what this was all about. Anything else, they rejected. But three years, no teams. So <laughs> Three years, no teams. They also said and, something else, and, Andrew, that I ahead. thought was interesting, too, which was you have to accept, if we're going to talk about bad blood and we're going to talk about acrimony and animosity and all of these other things, that you have to consider the fact that we even opened the door here, that we've offered this as at least some sign of good faith. And the point that they brought up, too, was in two and a half years, you, Colin Kaepernick, your team had never put on an open tryout either. You could have done this yourself for the last two and a half seasons, and you didn't. And you could have gauged the interest by hosting a public free workout for anybody who wants to see you play and see you throw. And you didn't do that either. So this is another reason why people are questioning your desire to play and why we're talking about whether or not you were actually serious about this weekend as well. Yeah, let's let's focus on that in our remaining time in terms of the the issue of does he want to play? Does he want to be a martyr? Does he want something beyond pure football and i know you've been asked this i saw you on espn answering it about sort of a i wouldn't say a defiant attitude maybe you would call it that after the workout when his little Mine or his. and and the question is hey if no one's calling you for three years and you're really trying to get a job a agree to the conditions they have for the workout and b be solicitous be demure be almost submissive in your answers rather than defiant thoughts on that. Certainly. And I think that, I think that Colin Kaepernick and you know, this as well as I do, as well as Mm -hmm. anybody paying attention to this, he is such a mirror. He is such a reflection of where we are in this moment in time, both nationally and individually. And the, the, intellectual or sort of philosophical conversation about whether or not to wear an inflammatory antagonizing t-shirt to what is essentially a job interview is, is one thing. And that is a good conversation to have. Maybe not the call that any of us have made because we've never probably had that level of leverage to, to potentially undermine ourselves like that. That's one thing, but the anger that people have had that he did that speaks to something else. And the point that I see when I hear that is this idea that, This is what we have to do. If you want to work for these guys, you are an employee. No potential employee would do that. Who do you think you are? Why do you think you could get away with that? And that is sort of a a confounding and angering point that a lot of people have had where it's like, well, this is proof that you're not serious. Who would, who would sabotage themselves like that? My position on that is a little bit different. I look at it as, We've had characters all throughout sports. Jim McMahon was a character. Mm-hmm. You know, we've seen this. You know, Rasheed Wallace was a character. Draymond Green, Dennis Rodman. We've had all these different wacky guys in the game who have had their politics or had their personalities come out, and the world kept spinning. What is so different about this? What's so different about this is it's black advocacy and it's black defiance, and and it's the subject matter, and it's so polarizing that you have this combination, one, of African-American assertiveness, which people don't like, and two, sort of this, this balance, this sort of anger of the balance between being an individual and being professional, that, okay, even if you take the individualism and you push it aside, it's not professional to antagonize a potential employer. Right. And that I, I completely understand both of those elements, 
But the point that I've tried to make is, is that we know that Colin Kaepernick has support. We know that he can be an asset to a lot of folks. We also know that the NFL is making an example of him. So therefore, my question has been, what the NFL and what this story really needs is a maverick. It needs an Al Davis. It needs somebody to just say, you know what? The world's going to survive with you and your politics. Go out and throw some touchdowns for us and everything's going to be fine. The world will keep on spinning. I usually, I, I've made the Dennis Rodman analogy. Why is Dennis Rodman in the Hall of Fame right now? Dennis Rodman is in the Hall of Fame because Phil Jackson, Scotty Pippen, and Michael Jordan said, we got this. Dennis can be Dennis. He's going to be a great asset to us, but he's going to be himself. And it wasn't like Dennis was beaten into submission because he didn't conform. He still did his thing. He still got ejected. His hair looked like a parrot every other game. And he went out and did his thing. Why is this so disqualifying to people? I would say this, and this is a little pushback, and I know, but I'm not a scout. You're not a scout. We don't debate arm strength and movement skills. And, but he hasn't been a starter. And no team's looking at him well, as right. a starter. And everyone you've talked about in the in those examples is a frontline player. Those are great players. And mm-hmm. I think right. teams will put up with that, Malcolm Jenkins, et cetera, for frontline players. But they won't put it up with That's it right. for a backup. And whether that backup's Tim Tebow or Michael Sam or Colin Kaepernick. So there's the rub. And it just struck me that you saw it firsthand. 18 of the 25 teams couldn't be bothered to go across town to watch him throw. So not only could they not be bothered to go across town, but they couldn't be bothered to go to the airport where they were flying out of because the football field is right next to the airport. It was 10 minutes away. Yeah. I heard the new location was right next to the airport, right? Yeah. The new location was, was you, the airport is in the same County. It's 10 minutes away. They call it Atlanta airport, but the airport is actually in Clayton County, which is where the football field was. And they're literally 10 minutes apart. So we're kind of where we started, aren't we? And, and tell me if we're not, which is, number one, Kaepernick hasn't waived his full rights, whatever may be coming ever, litigation-wise. And number two, no, one, no one's interested. So, yeah, which is where yes we and, were yes two weeks no, ago. Andrew, right? I take a tiny bit more of a, a level of optimism in terms of, not optimism in terms of that something, that something's going to happen for him, but in terms of the actual like story and movement. Well, the one thing we do have is you do have video now, is that no matter how we got there, no matter who held the workout, you actually do have footage of him dropping back and throwing footballs to professional level receivers. We do have that now. So if somebody wants to get past all of the noise, you know, after a game or whatever, they can sit down with their with their eyeglasses and sit and actually watch and see what they think. That's something that we didn't have a week ago today. Whether it goes anywhere or whether anyone's actually looked at the footage, Jeff Malley, Kaepernick's agent, sent it to all 32 teams uh, the day after on Sunday. That's another right. story. But we do have something. We do know if you are a talent evaluator, you actually saw him throw a football and you can make a decision there. Last question. In, in trying to scratch our heads on why this happened, I know we've come up with some good theories. Jay-Z, I mean, I've heard that theory that, I mean, for people who don't know, there's a relationship between the NFL and Jay-Z. When it happened, I said, I get it for the NFL. He's cool. He's got cachet. He attracts an audience they want. But for Jay-Z, I'm like, why is he doing that? 
and he got pushback that he didn't make supportive comments of Colin Kaepernick. Is there anything to that relationship that precipitated this in your mind? I think so. I think there's something to it because how do relationships get made? I'm I'm sure that a phone call was made between Jay-Z and Roger Goodell and somebody to say, look, this would be, this would be a good gesture. High risk gesture. Absolutely. Big upside. Absolutely. Big downside. Absolutely. Yeah. But how do things get done? And I, and I can certainly see envision a scenario where Jay-Z is calling Roger Goodell and saying, listen, I came in on your side here and I'm getting demolished by the black community. Something, someone's got to try something. And I think that what they did, I, I, I think that the entire notion that you could just treat Colin Kaepernick like just another player to avoid the circus or to avoid the distraction was a huge miscalculation if that is to be believed. I think there's no way. I said the minute you put Colin Kaepernick's name on the free agent arrival list, whether it's an individual team or whether it's an entire league workout, it's going to be news. I think they had to deal with the fact that it was going to be news and just accept the fact that it wasn't a sideshow. People keep calling it a circus and everything else. It wasn't. It was it was a gathering. You had a couple of people that didn't support him. You had a whole pe- bunch of people who did. It, it wasn't a riot. Nobody was yelling. Nobody, it was just a whole bunch of people gathering to see something, which actually, when you think about it, is, is good for the league. People were interested in this man. Did you get to talk to Hugh Jackson or any of the people that were supposed to run the workout who did not travel? To I never saw Hugh Jackson. We weren't, by the time we were allowed to go into the facility area, because we had been outside of the fence from 11 o'clock to two o'clock. Once the door, once the doors opened up, once the gates opened up for us to go in, I stayed outside because I was getting text messages from Collins people saying something's up. So I didn't want to have my car parked and all backed in in case there was another location. So I never got a chance to go in and see anybody. And then of course, Hugh Jackson went straight to the airport and left. Bottom line, I think he ever plays in the NFL. I don't. And the reason I don't think so is because cooler heads have yet to prevail. Nobody has cut through this. And I think the only way this is going to happen is if somebody decides to be a maverick. And as you were saying, are we mavericks for players who aren't frontline players? I disagree with you from the standpoint that he's not a frontline player. He's just not a frontline player. Now we remember we were saying the same thing about Michael Vick. Oh, he was in prison for, you know, he hasn't played football for two years. Turns turns out he was a frontline guy. After all, I just think that we've decided or that the machine of sports and the NFL has decided he's not a frontline guy because a lot of people don't want him to be a frontline guy. Who knows? He could come and get signed. Starter goes down the, the, the same way Kevin Cobb did. And there you go. And Colin Kaepernick is a starter again. We just don't know. But somebody's got to be the maverick if this is going to happen. And does Colin have to give a little bit? The question is, how much does he have to give in order for people to say, look, as the forward face of the franchise, we want you or we're going to accept you to be that guy with all the fallout that's going to come with it. Would Colin Kaepernick play in the XFL or Canadian Football League, or does he see that below? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think that the pay in the CFL is too bad, and I think that the XFL probably doesn't pay very well either. And I don't think he feels like he's got to qualify. I think he's like, I mm-hmm. belong in the NFL. And if I'm not going to play in the NFL, I went, how many of you guys have been to a Super Bowl? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, how many of you guys have been to three straight a- NFC title games? I should oh, believe have me. To I'm, a, I'm a Packers former employee. I've seen him as kryptonite with that team. Well, well, he, you know, for what he did up in Green Bay, I mean, he's he's a special talent. But once again, it goes back to this question. And as a lawyer, I think you know this better than anybody. Mm-hmm. Each side's got to give to get to the middle. Right. You got to give something. And that something has not yet been reached. Now, you've, and you've talked to both sides. You've talked about texts from both sides, NFL side and Kaepernick side. Is the relationship beyond repair, in your opinion? I don't think so. And the reason why I don't think so is because we're talking about two different relationships. Is the relationship between Cap's lawyers and the NFL lawyers beyond repair? Nope, because they're lawyers. They always talk. You, get, you know how that works. Is the relationship broken between Colin Kaepernick and Roger Goodell? Well, I'm sure they didn't really have much of a relationship before that. So in other words, is could everything change if one owner comes up and says, hey, I need the guy. If the Cincinnati Bengals called up and said, hey, we need a guy. Or Daniel Snyder with Washington. You know, yeah, then all of a sudden the relationship changes. 29 other teams or 31 other teams may not stand him. But if that relationship changes, suddenly he's back. So I... I I think the only way you can say that the relationship is dead is if you believe in collusion, is if you believe that they've all decided in lockstep they're not going to do it. If you think that there's somebody in the league that has an open mind, then things can change. But let's also not forget, he's 32 years old. It's not like it's going to last. It's not going to last forever. Yeah, and I think people are sort of rightly or wrongly jumping on that, that what he did against the Packers and all those great things you talked about are ancient history right now. Uh, and he's older, and he hasn't played for three years. Mm -hmm. But we'll see. I mean, again, David Tepper signed Eric Reed. It could happen. It could happen, and it could happen in a way that, and also, you know, it it could happen. We've seen different types of stories, and we've also seen where the game is going now. If you look at the fact that five of the top offenses in the NFL are run by black quarterbacks, and they're all – that mm-hmm. read option thing is it, it, it's not dead after all that, that you need an athlete back there and you need somebody back there who can play in the adjusted modern game. The question is going to be, are we going to talk about him as a football player? Or are we going to talk about him as something else? And also, and who are we going to allow to be the measure? Is the measure going to be, the two guys with the signs that say stand for the flag, or is the measure going to be the fact that he does have support and, and someone is willing to see whether or not he can play. And is he going to get the Michael Vick treatment where, okay, you get three and a half, four weeks of, of hard protest and then life goes on and the protesters right. go home and you either play football or don't. I know I've said this a couple of times, Howard, but last question if he sat down with an owner or GM and that owner or GM asked him, are you, can you be all about football and we're not going to have any now again, the kneeling question is different, but can you be all about football and this is not going to be a statement and this is not going to be a, a movement. What do you think his answer is? I think his answer is why are you asking me to amputate myself? Why is it so important? It goes back to that thing about advocacy and obedience. Why is it so important for you to tell me to amputate? Why, 
why can't I be myself and still be all about football? Why are the, why are we splitting the two down the middle? And if I were an activist for Greenpeace or climate change, would you be ask, making the same ask of me? What is this really all about? And I think that is an excellent question. And, and I think it's a question that needs to get turned around to the person asking it. What is it that you don't want him to be and why? And that's the reason why he's such an inspiration for so many people, especially for so many black people who feel like you do have to amputate every single piece of yourself just to make it in this country. That's why he's the inspiration, that he's not necessarily willing to do that. And of course, that also makes him the frustration to the Stephen A's of the world and all the black professionals out there that I know are like, this is what we have to do. He's no different. Yeah, and I just think that hinders him and it's not it's not right. But these these owners, GMs for backups, especially they want nameless, faceless guys that focus on football. Because they're just well, too many if you players. want a nameless, faceless guy, you should have never called Colin Kaepernick in the first place because he'll never be nameless and he'll never be faceless <laughs> well, that's, again. If you're, if gonna, you're already if at you're that stage hold a of Colin Kaepernick, you kind of got to know what you're getting right. into, right? Right. If you're at the stage of talking to him, you're beyond that. Yes, that's correct. That's right. <laughs> Howard, this has been great taking us inside the yeah, workout. My pleasure. And taking us uh, all through these insights and perspective that only you have. I really appreciate it. And I uh, want you as a regular guest on the Business of Sports podcast. Yeah, call anytime, Andrew. Thank you so much. Really hope you enjoyed that thoughtful and insightful interview with Howard Bryant, all about the Kaepernick workout, the Kaepernick machinations between the lawyers, what happens next, if he'll get signed, the maverick nature of Kaepernick comparing him to other mavericks in sports, and that we need a maverick owner that's going to sign him if, in fact, he is ever signed by an NFL team. Now, word from our sponsor. It's Bet Online. We got it all going on now. NFL, college football, of course, the biggest games of the year, and NBA is now in full swing. So, NFL, look at the matchups this week. Of course, my Packers are at the Niners, Seahawks at Eagles. I'll be at that game. Cowboys, Patriots, Ravens, Rams. Oh, just great games throughout the NFL. And college football isn't far behind when you have Penn State, Ohio State, the huge game uh, at noon on Saturday. And, of course, key matchups coming up in the NBA with Houston and the Clippers coming up. So you can get in on all the action. Do it at betonline.ag. And don't forget that promo code you can use, Podcast1, for your sign-up bonus, which is 50%. Betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. That'll do it for this part two of the Kaepernick Story edition of the Business Sports Podcast with my friend, colleague and awesome writer, speaker, uh, commentator, Howard Bryant. Thanks to my producer extraordinaire, Brian Neal, to my son, Sam Brandt, for the interstitial music. Thanks to you for following me on Twitter, at Andrew Brand, and any rankings and comments on Apple Podcasts are greatly appreciated. And I'll be back next week with another edition of The Business of Sports with Andrew Brandt.